to, to listen to. So we are in the book of Ephesians is where we are. Um, and um, we, have, uh, we started a couple of weeks ago and then Mother's Day and now we're back to it. And we'll be back to it for a while till Father's Day and then we'll take a day off and then we'll get back into it. So we'll be in Ephesians for a while. Uh, you can just keep reading it. Um, right now we're in chap- the first chapter in a book of Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 1, um, we talked about it uh, a few weeks ago, is the idea that um, verses 9, or verses, uh, I'm sorry, verses 3 through 14. As you look at it in your Bible, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, um, in the original language when the Bible was written in Greek, that is one long sentence. So nine verses, it's one sentence. Um, and so it has a lot of material in it. So rather than just deal with it in that chunk, I'm, we're breaking it down. It basically deals with three aspects. It talks about the idea of the salvation that you and I have in Christ. And it presents it from three perspectives. It talks about God's role in our salvation, which we talked about two weeks ago. Then it talks about, which we're going to talk about this morning, Christ's role in our salvation. And then uh, next week we'll be looking at the Holy Spirit's role in our salvation. So that's kind of where we're going. Um, Here's where we've been. We talked about two weeks ago God's role in salvation. And here's what what Paul said. He said, first of all, you need to understand that God has blessed you um, in incredible ways. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. He said, God chose you. And you don't need to understand it. You just need to accept it and embrace it. And then he talked about the idea that God adopted you. He brought you into his family with all the full rights and privileges of a full-grown son or or daughter. And so we talked about how God did that and and, and all that was involved in God doing that when you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to go to the role that Jesus Christ has in our salvation. So with that in mind, Ephesians chapter 1, here's what it says. In him, talking about Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he hath made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So let's walk through it. Phrase by phrase, word by word, so we understand it. It says, first of all, in him we have redemption. Now, if you were a Christian or if you were someone living in the first century when this book was written, in that world, redemption would have been something that was very common understanding for most people. It had the idea of paying money to purchase somebody's freedom. Particularly in a slave in a slave world, which was common at that time, it was the idea that that someone would purchase you, and you would, they would then they would then own you, have the right to you, so to speak. Um, the modern day analogy for us would be a pawn shop. Okay, now I've never pawned anything. I've bought plenty of stuff at pawn shops over the years, but um, I've shopped pawn shops. But the way a pawn shop thing works, as far as my understanding is, it let's say I wanted to pawn my ring. I would take my ring in and then look at my ring, and he'd say, "Okay." I'll give you $100 for that ring. Now, at that point, I'm going to say, done deal, because I didn't pay that for it. So um, I, he's going to give me $100 for it. I'm going to make payments on it, and then and he's going to hold it. He's not going to sell it. He's not going to use it. He's just going to hold it. And at, a certain, at the end of a certain amount of days, if I've not paid him what we agreed to, he now owns it, and he has the right to sell it. Okay? 
Um, if I pay for it, whatever I borrow, whatever arrangement we made, at the end of that time, it comes out of hock. I get my ring back and I can use it again. Here's the important thing to understand. Until it's redeemed, it doesn't have value to me or him. I can't use it. I can't enjoy it. He can't use it. He can't enjoy it. It just sits there. And what Paul's saying here is God, Jesus Christ, redeemed you. He bought you. He owns the rights to you, is what he's saying. And notice what he says, through his blood. It wasn't cheap. It was free, but it wasn't cheap. Okay? And what he says is, it's because of the blood of Christ that your sins can be forgiven. And that's exactly what he's going to talk about in a second. What you need to understand is the blood of Christ is very important. It's not some mystical thing. It's the idea in the Bible that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Old Testament concept from way back. It had been established that in order for sins to be forgiven, something had to die. And so Jesus Christ, as we talked about this at Easter, Jesus Christ as a sinless son of God, willingly went to a cross to die in our place. He shed his blood so that we could have forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, that could not have happened. If they had hung Christ, we wouldn't have salvation. It has to be the shedding of blood. That's why it's so important. And it says here, so Christ's role in salvation is, through his blood, and notice what he says, the forgiveness of sins. Now that's important. Because we don't... We don't understand that, I'm afraid, as, as, um, as Americans in, in, in 2018. Because we like to think that we can do something in order to take care of our sin. And you can't. This is all on Christ. Christ is the one who forgives sin. And forgive means basically to not hold the account anymore. Okay? You know, you've heard that phrase, forgive and forget. That's not right. You can't necessarily forget. You go, well, I thought God forgives our sin. No, God chooses to remember our sins no more. That's what the idea of forget means. God takes our sins and, and, and removes it as far as the east is from the west, buries it in the depths of the deepest sea. You want a great illustration of the forgiveness of sins? Look at Christ when he deals with the woman caught in adultery. And in that story, what happens? They bring a woman, and it's interesting, read your Bible carefully. It says they bring a woman caught in the act of adultery. Well, if she was caught in the act of adultery, that means there were two, and they only bring one. And that's significant. Jesus knows exactly what they're doing. And so they ask Jesus, as he's writing in the sand, what do we do with her? And Jesus, which I love, just keeps writing in the sand. Finally, he looks up, and he says, I'll tell you what. He who is without sin cast the first stone. And it says they all walked away. I think it's fascinating, too. They all walked away from the oldest to the youngest. Because the youngest like, not me. I didn't do anything wrong. You know, the old person's thinking, well, I'm out of here. Um, you know, they'd realize that there's no way they could do that. Because they realized that they had sinned. And it's interesting to what Jesus does. He looks at her and says, where are those that condemn you? And there's nobody standing there. He says, I don't either. Go and sin no more. In other words, he wipes the slate clean for her. That's forgiveness. That's, that, that's the way God forgives you. And, and listen, this is important. Because you need to understand, your forgiveness of sins rests with the finished work of Christ, not with your behavior. Just like salvation, it started with God. He's the one who blessed you, chose you, adopted you. He's the one who did all of that for you. Now, all of a sudden, 
the role of Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ says, I have redeemed you, bought you back with my blood. I've forgiven your sins. And, and that is so important for us to understand because I deal with so many people who, because of your past, you're like, well, God can't use me. God can't use me. You know, you, you don't know my past. You don't know what I'm, you don't know the forgiveness of God. You don't understand the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and how complete it is that he removed your sin as far as the east is from the west, as far as the depths of the deepest sea. You go, well, you don't, you, you don't understand. You know, are you saying God forgives all my sin, past, present, future? Yes. Because you need to understand when he dies on the cross to forgive sin, all of your sin was future. You hadn't been born yet. And you go, well, that just means I could go and sin and do whatever I want. Then you don't understand salvation. And I would argue from 1 John, you don't even possess it. Because when you understand salvation, when you understand what Jesus Christ has done, you can't help but turn around and say, thank you, God. I don't deserve it. I don't appreciate it. I, 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 I need to appreciate and enjoy it. Notice what he goes on to say. We're going to talk about this in, at the end. But Oh, no, go back, guys. Sorry, sorry. Um, according to the riches of his grace. It's grace. It's God gave it to you because of grace. You can't earn that. You can't purchase that. You can't do anything for that. All you can do is accept it. Um, I go back to the story. Some of you, many of you don't. Some of you don't. But um, I, um, I love riding motorcycle. Um, I had a motorcycle for a while. And my wife didn't enjoy riding with me. So I ended up getting a little... MG that we remodel or rebuilt and got it going and so we would do that and so my wife felt a whole lot more comfortable in MG than a motorcycle and I still like to ride and so I have a friend in Texas who we go down every year and uh, he owned about 10 bikes or so and every time we went down I we walk into the shed and he go pick which bike you want to ride while you're down here and I had this bike that I really liked um, and I always picked that bike and I loved that bike and and every time I go down I'd ride that bike it was it was awesome it was a lot of fun um, we went, took a trip down there once, and we went to the other side of Texas, and we spent about three days riding, and I rode that bike for three days. About four or five months later, his son called me up and said, uh, hey, Dad wants to know, do you want that bike? And I said, well, how much are you selling for it? He said, no, you don't understand. Dad wants to know, do you want that bike? I said, you mean like for nothing? He said, yeah, for nothing. He said, he's driving up the one that I ride. He's going to give it to me. And he said, if you want the other one, it's yours. But he doesn't want to cause problems in your marriage, so your wife has to say yes. <laughs> so I call my wife at school. I don't ever call my wife at school. I'm like, hey, honey, you're not going to believe this. Are you okay with me getting a motorcycle? She's like, what? I said, what's to bring up a motorcycle and give me a motorcycle? And, and my wife goes, really? She said, really? You think for the rest of my life I'm going to be known as that wife that didn't let you get something that I know that you wanted, and it was free. And so, anyway, so, she, so we joked about it and stuff like that, and, 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 and so brought it up and gave it to me. I called him, and I said, uh, what, what's the deal? I said, come on. I said, this is incredibly generous. I said, what's the, what, what's the, what's the thing with this? He said, you know, he said, I was walking through my shed one day, and I was with my wife, and I told her, I said, if anything happens to me, I want, I want you know, so-and-so to have that bike. I want, I want PJ to have that bike. And he said, and then I stopped and I thought about it. I thought, you know what? They enjoy it more than I do. Why don't I give it to them now? And I can watch them enjoy it while I get to enjoy watching them enjoy it. And, uh, and, and I said, okay. Now, now, here's the deal. 
That bike is mine when I said yes. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't afford that bike. I couldn't have earned my way to get that bike. It was mine when I said yes. Now my task is to appreciate it and enjoy it. And you should know this. I do. <laughs> In fact, can I tell you, can I be honest with you? I actually feel guilty at times. Because I, I know people who have, who have saved for years to afford a bike not even as nice as that. And it's, and, 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 and you know, I kind of feel guilty going, you know, they're like, I almost feel like I have to explain myself. It's like, yeah, you know, yeah, that's my bike. You know, it's like, really? What are you paying that guy? Um, you know, because I feel guilty because it, it was such a generous gift. And it was so much, it was so gracious to be able to, to do something like that for, some, for me. And, and, and it was overwhelming. And, and it's taken me a couple of years to really just sit back and go, you know what? Why don't you just shut up and enjoy what you have been given? Why don't you just appreciate it and value, and, 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 and value it and treasure it instead of beating yourself up for why you got it and somebody else didn't? And yet I watch Christians do that all the time. You know, oh, you know, you know, my, you know I just can't. And you start feeling guilty. For, and it's like, wait a minute. God has given you riches of his grace. We're going to talk about this at the end. That he has poured out to you and me every day. And he goes on to say, in all wisdom and prudence, it's the idea that as a Christian, we can live with a passion and we can live with a wisdom that the world doesn't get. When Jesus was here, that's what he does. He walks around teaching and gives them incredible insight and wisdom in the way that he approaches situations. And, and Paul writes to these people at Ephesus who are in this witchcraft, occult-oriented city where everything's about the gods and the, and the goddesses and the powers that be and the heavens and the heavenlies and all that. And he says, you need to understand, God blessed you. He adopted you. He chose you. Jesus Christ came in. He redeemed you. He forgave your sin. And he pours out the riches of his grace to you all day long. And then he goes on. Listen to what he says next. Um, now, you got to... We're going to wade through this, but I'm going to read it all real quick, and then we'll go back to it bit by bit. He said, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, that he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. I'll just stop here for a second. The mystery of his will. Here's the idea. A mystery is something that was unknown before, but it's now known. It's this idea. Jesus Christ, what, what Paul is saying to these people is, here's what God's done. God has now revealed his mystery. And the mystery was this. In the Old Testament, all these people couldn't put all the puzzle pieces together. They couldn't put the offering system together and the, and, and, and the Passover and how all that worked. But in the fullness of time, Jesus comes. And all of a sudden, that mystery, the mystery about all, what all this is about goes away. Because now they understand. Oh, the Old Testament's pointing to Jesus. The Passover lamb, that's Jesus. Oh, the whole, the, the, the whole idea of the first fruits, that's about Jesus and about the resurrection. And they're able to start putting together all of these Old Testament prophecies and how they were fulfilled in Christ. Because again, these people are in a city that's surrounded by mystery and witchcraft and, 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 and the heavens and the heavenlies and the gods and the goddesses. And, and, and Paul writes to him and says, look, you need to know, God has revealed that mystery to you in the form of Jesus Christ. And he says, it's interesting, that little phrase in the dispensation of the fullness of time. Um, 
Paul, at this point in the Bible, has already written the book of Galatians to the church at Galatia. And, and it's probably realistic that the people in Ephesus had read part of that letter as well. In Galatians, what he says is, in the fullness of time, God sent his son made of a woman. And the idea is that at the right time in history, God steps into it in the form of Jesus Christ. And he steps in, and all of a sudden, the mystery about all of it is gone. But notice what he goes on to say. In heaven and on earth, in him. So Paul takes it, and he says, in the heavenly, there's this heavenly discussion, and now there's this earthly discussion. And notice what he says about the earthly discussion going on in the next uh, verse, uh, verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who walks all thing, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. Some versions, and, and when you actually look at this in a written language, it doesn't just say we have obtained an inheritance. It says we are the inheritance. Now, just stop and think about that for a minute. We are the inheritance of Jesus Christ. In other words, God says, you know what? When these people put their faith and trust in me, in, in Jesus Christ, I'm giving them back to you. They're, you ready for this? You are God's gift to Christ. You are part of the inheritance as God says, okay, you know what? You have a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. And you know what? I'm going to give you a, a group of people. We call it the church. And that's your inheritance now in order to be able that, that the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In other words, he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give these, this church, these people to Christ so that Christ can be glorified on earth. Why? Because Christ isn't here anymore. And, it, and it's our job now to represent Christ to the world. And he goes on to say that, that we who first trust in Christ should be the praise of his glory. In other words, the idea is that in our lives... Our lives are to praise God and, and to point the glory to him. That's why we are in Christ. So that people see Christ in us. That's what he's going to argue in the book of Colossians. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that's what he lays out to these people about the role of Jesus Christ in, in, in our salvation. So let me, let's talk about some practical things, some things that, that help us as uh, as you and I go through the week. So here's the first one. The first one is this idea. Christ has redeemed you. He has forgiven you. And he has shown you his grace. He has redeemed you. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. And in your spirit which are God's. We we belong to him. It's not our life to do with it as part of what we want to do. We talked about this in Sunday school a little bit. It's the idea of my life is now in Christ. And, and, and the whole idea is that people have to see Christ in me. So what that means is that transforms everything you do. What it means is that you don't, you, when it comes to your marriage, what kind of marriage do you have? You have the kind of marriage that the Bible talks about. Where you try to outserve your spouse every day. 
Don't urge. You get up this morning. I joke about this with people. I get up this morning and go, what can I do to make my wife stay great? And my wife gets up every day and goes, what can I do to make my husband's day great? And we have two people trying to outserve each other all day long. What kind of marriage is that? Oh, you know, that'd be miserable. <laughs> no, that's the kind of marriage the Bible talks about. Why? Because in Christ I do things differently. When I go to my job, what's everybody else going to the job for? Paycheck. Do what the boss says. Complain about the boss. Complain about the hours. Wah, 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 wah. As a Christian, what do I do? Whether therefore you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all the glory of God. I go to my job tomorrow morning in order to glorify God. And so I try to be the best kind of employee that I can be. Why? Because I'm a Christian, Christ in me. When I go to the store and I am in the checkout line and the person in front of me has a barcode thing that doesn't scan and they flip on the little flashing light, I say, thank you, Jesus. Because now I get to stand in this line longer. You see what I'm talking about? And when, I, when, I'm, when I'm on my way running late and I get behind a tractor, <sighs> who doesn't know that you're not supposed to be on the road when I'm on the road? I say, Lord, thanks that, you know, those guys are out there providing a way for me to be able to eat. Right? And when I have a waitress who is slow as molasses and having a horrible day, I whine and complain and fill out an app while I'm right there and tell them how to lousy. No, 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 no. I say, you know, you must be having a pretty tough day. You know, yeah, I am. You know, I, da, 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 da. I have an opportunity to reflect Christ and minister. I do it differently. I do it differently because I have a different motivation. I do it differently because I've been redeemed. I've been forgiven. I've been adopted. I've been chosen. I have been blessed. And God's grace continues to pour out in my life. That's why. Second thing, I have to understand that because I am an inheritance of Christ, because I am an inheritance, you know what? It means that I have to understand my life is not mine. I'm not here for me. I'm here for God to be glorified in me. I do not want to minimize whatever you're going through right now. I don't want to minimize your pain, your struggle, your hardship, whatever else. But I also want to be honest with you about the teaching of the Word of God. So take this with love. Okay? When you and I start complaining about our circumstances... We are on very dangerous ground. When we start complaining about our situation and our circumstances and why it should be better, in a sense, we kind of slap God in the face. Because the reality of it is, God has blessed us in incredible ways. And yet, it's not enough. We want more. And we don't want to be the kind of people who go there. We want to be the kind of people that realize that God is to be glorified in my life and my circumstances and my situation no matter what. We want to be the kind of people to get up every day and focus on what, how good God has been to us. 
So I just got to thinking a little bit about my day this morning. Here's how it went. This morning, I got up, and the first thing that I did was talk to Alexa. And I said, Alexa, turn off the alarm. Alexa turned off my alarm. I was able to swing out of my bed and put my feet on the floor. I got to stand up today. I then walked into the bathroom, and um, believe it or not, I'm not trying to be crude or anything else, but I flushed my toilet with nicer water than most of the world gets to drink from. I then walked downstairs, and I was able to walk downstairs. I don't even have a rail on my stairs. I was able to do it without a rail. Never had a rail there. Probably have to do one day. Don't have to yet. I was able to get all the way down my stairs. I uh, let the dog out. And in my world, I did that by going over to the refrigerator and pushing the garage door button so the garage door goes up so the dog can go out. I didn't even have to go out the door. And then I went, and then I went into my office to turn on my computer to be able to find out what was going on and what had gone on while I was asleep overnight to look at the weather to figure out if there were any emails from anybody from the church that we needed to pray on to ask, add to the prayer list this morning. Then I walked down, then I walked back into my kitchen, and the whole time I'm flipping on lights like that's no big deal. I go into my kitchen, and I make breakfast, and I open up a pantry, and I get to choose out of all kinds of things to eat. I walk to a refrigerator, and it's got, I grabbed some milk that was there, and I grabbed orange juice that was there. And I got to sit down, and by the way, it had rained last night, and I didn't have sleep in the rain. So I got up, and after I had gone through all of my breakfast thing, I went upstairs, and I took a shower again with clean water, shaved with hot water. Then I walked into my closet, and I had to choose what outfit I was going to wear today, what sport coat, what shirt, what pants. I had a choice of which belt to wear. As I get all dressed and everything else, and then I go downstairs Again, walking up and down those stairs, not even thinking twice about it. I go outside and I lock the door as I leave the house, and that's a really easy deal. I just push a button and it does it electronically. I don't have to use a key or turn a knob. I then walk outside and my dog is now sitting there in front of me, wanting attention. So I get to pet my dog, and I get to give my dog a dog biscuit. So my dog this morning ate better than most people in third world countries. And it's got a continuous thing of water and food right there. And then I walk past one car in order to get to a second car. And if I wanted to, I could have chosen a third car or gotten on a motorcycle to get here this morning. Now, at this point, we've gone from 545 till about 7 o'clock. So a whole hour and 15 minutes has passed of God's grace, and God's goodness, and God's kindness, and God's protection, and God's outpouring in my life. I haven't even gotten to the door of the building yet. And when I walk in here, the first thing I think about is, I wonder, in order to make people more comfortable today, do I turn on the heat or the air? Now, that's my day for an hour and 15 minutes. God's grace has been incredibly good to me. 
And yet, we gripe and complain. And yet, we go, God, it's not supposed to be this way. It should be different. Because you see, the Bible's very clear that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He allows things into our lives. Why? So that we can build character and the world can see Christ in us. So that we can be to the praise of His glory. So that when people look at our lives, they go, you know what, I don't know how they did it, but I just know that God is somehow using them and doing something. And I want to know more about their God because I couldn't have that kind of response. But when we walk into the world and we gripe and complain like everybody else in the world, they don't want what we have. Because what we have is no different than what they have. And we have to sit back. I'm not saying you go around with a smile on your face and, you know, oh, yeah, I just totaled my car. It's an awesome day. But I'm talking about where I totaled my car and I go, you know what? Yeah, it's bad. I got to replace the car and stuff like that. But it could have been worse. My day could be better, but it could be worse. And I have to understand that God's grace has been poured out abundantly upon me all day long, every day, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Trying to illustrate this. The best illustration, a commentary I was reading, and he said, he said, the grace of God is like the ocean. So I want to put something on the screen. I want you to watch it and listen to it for a few minutes. Not a few minutes, but um, throw that up there. Um, okay. I don't know. Can you hear it? Is the, yeah, flip the sound on over there. They turned that off. Uh-oh, maybe you won't get it. There you go. No, we're not going to the beach as a field trip, all right? For some of you that have only lived in Iowa all your life, this is the ocean. This is what it does. Wave after wave after wave after wave after wave after wave. All day long, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, year after year after year. Pause that for a second. You know what God's grace is to you? It's an ocean. God shows you grace upon 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 grace. Oh, there's a storm. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Because you're his child. He redeemed you. He's forgiven your sins. He has adopted you. He has blessed you. He has done an awful lot for you. And part of our response is not to go out and try to earn it. There's nothing I could do to go out and try to earn enjoying that motorcycle. All I need to do is sit back and appreciate it and enjoy it. Go, yeah, but what if there's a problem with it? I had a problem with it. I had the LED taillight, or turn signal go out. fixed it. What's interesting is, and again, I understand that it's a cult, but the particular bike that I have is a Harley Davidson. 
Now understand, those people are cult people. I get that. Okay? And when I became a member of the cult, I would go to the store, the $100 store, Harley Davidson store, $100. And I would go in and I would start to buy Harley Davidson stuff. Why? Because that's what Harley Davidson people do. And now that I have a Harley Davidson bike, I buy Harley Davidson clothes when they're on sale and shirts. And I start to now wear those to be associated with Harley Davidson. I don't do it in order to own one. There's no, like, law, but there kind of is. But, I mean, there, there's no, like, law among those cult people. There's, there's an idea that way. But because I'm associated with that, that's what I do. Okay? Because I have been redeemed and forgiven and chosen and adopted, and because Jesus Christ has poured his grace upon me day after day after day after moment after moment after moment, I want to be associated with that, and I want everyone to know I'm associated with that. And I'm okay with that. And I I just want to challenge you this morning. Because I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in life going the way we think life should go that we forget. Christ gets to call the shots, not me. And my job is as best that I can with his grace, with the help of fellow believers, to reflect him in all of the stuff that comes my way. And that every time that I have an opportunity, I try to reflect the glory of God in Christ because of what he's done. And I want to challenge you this week because it's so easy for us in America to focus on what's happening to us and to figure and to forget there's a much bigger picture. There's a much bigger picture at play. And the reality of it is your life and mine has this minuscule amount of time here. But in that little bit of time, you have the ability to impact generation after generation after generation after generation with your life. You know, one of the cool things that my wife didn't tell you about was Friday when they had graduation. There's a picture of her with Aaron Luce and three of his four girls. You see, what's cool about that picture is my wife got to teach Aaron when he was in fourth grade. And she got to teach three of his four girls and standing there representing in that is the opportunity of my wife to influence not one not two not three but four of those family members and to have that impact because who knows what those girls will go on to do for the kingdom of God because she like me only has this short amount of time to make it not about us but about what God can do with us. And that's my challenge for you this week. You have been given much in Christ. And God did an awful lot when he saved you. And he did an awful lot when he saved me. So I end with this. I end this morning with this. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, God has redeemed you, forgiven you, and gives you abundant grace for each day. You are part of God's marvelous plan, and he's not finished with you. He wants to use you to help others see what a life in Christ looks like in a world 
of chaos and strife. As Christ's inheritance, we allow God to use us, just as he used Christ to show the world his glory. Show them. The world of the riches of the grace of God that you possess because you're in Christ. Make a difference. Allow God to use you this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, the pain is real. The heartache and the struggle is real. Lord, sometimes we're put up against so much more than even the world has to deal with. But Lord, we want to be trophies of your grace. We want people to be able to look at us and see Christ in us. Lord, in a world where everybody tries to tear everybody down, we want to be a world that builds people up. In a world, Lord, that tries to hurt one another when we have been hurt, we want to try to help others when we've been hurt. Lord, we want people to see us do it differently because we have a Savior who is in us. So use us, Lord. May people see Christ in us. And it is only going to be with your help, your power, and your grace this week that we respond according to what you want and not what we want. These things we ask in your name. Amen.